0: Welcome to the Real Turf Techs Podcast, for the technician that wants to get real. Follow along as we talk to industry professionals and address hot topics that we all face. Along the way, we'll learn tips and tricks. I'm your host, Trent Manning. Let's have some fun. This episode of Real Turf Techs on Superintendent Radio Network is presented by Foley Company a strong supporter of equipment technicians and golf course maintenance departments everywhere. Foley Company offers proven solutions for above and below the turf, for turf professionals everywhere. To learn more about Foley Company's line of reel grinders, bed knife grinders, and the Air 2G2 family of products, or to find a distributor, visit foleyco.com. Foley, ready for play. Welcome to the Real Turf Text Podcast, episode 44. Today, we're talking to James Wilkinson, equipment manager at Buckinghamshire Golf Club in Buckinghamshire, England. Buckinghamshire is an 18-hole private club. James has one assistant working with him in the shop. Let's hear from James. All right, we'll get rolling. Welcome, James, to the Real Turf Text Podcast. How you doing today? I'm good. How are you? i'm doing great thank you so much for coming on modern technology you're in england yep.
1: correct yeah we are in i'm in london in london uk yep okay yep yeah and what is our time difference here so 8 p.m here
0: 8 p.m yeah and then it's 3 p.m here so five hours Three. yeah Yep. Yeah, yeah Yep. pretty cool well tell us how you got into the turf
1: industry Okay, so a bit of a background beforehand. Probably around 11, 12 years old, I should imagine. I really started getting into, like, scooters, like mopeds, two-stroke. Me and my buddies, you know, we had kind of terrorised the neighbours, really. Buying these mopeds cheap and just using them until they break. But then I ended up having... Ended up my house being the storage, I suppose, and where we would, you know, try to fix them, not knowing a clue what we're doing, mm-hmm. but we'd give it a good go. Probably never fix them and then just buying some more and using my kitchen and my dishwasher to clean the parts. and <laughs> Yeah, so my mum used to hate it. So it kind of, it kind of started then. And then, you know, I left school at 16. And I think I always knew what it was I wanted to do, which was to either work with cars, motorbikes, anything mechanically. Very, I think back then I knew that I was pretty mechanically minded. Yeah, so I kind of left school at 16, and I went straight to a Skoda garage at the time, where I secured a spot as an apprentice. And I wanted to talk about this late, later on on this, but I got put with a guy who, you know, I'm 16 years old, you yeah. know, straight out of school. And I got put with this guy who just kind of, I think just didn't want me, didn't maybe want an apprentice. So from the mm. word go, it, I kind of, it didn't work very well. And then I ended up probably within about two or three weeks, kind of going into the body shop because I, I just felt like, you know, Maybe I was a bit more wanted in there. So obviously the guy at the time maybe just didn't, he was a bit older, maybe just didn't, or had the time or the inkling to maybe want to, to train somebody. And then within that year, they sold the garage and it got knocked down and became houses. Mm. And then I was probably out of work for maybe about four months. And then I managed to secure a, another apprenticeship with S- Saab, who now General Motors and, Actually, mm-hmm. so Saab no longer actually exists. So I managed to do my, an apprenticeship through them. So I did five years. So I did all my automotive degree. Mm-hmm. And then in 2005, my brother-in-law was the F and B manager at Buckinghamshire Golf Club. And okay. we were just chatting and, and, and he's like, you know, they're looking for an apprentice mechanic. Is that something that would interest you? And I'm like, you know, I have no idea, but more than happy to just go and speak speak to the guys there, which is what I did, spoke to the head mechanic. And he was just like, look, you know, I know you're part of the auto side, he said, but I just think you'll be a great, a great addition. So I'm like, definitely, you know, why not? The money was a little bit better. Let's try something different. And that's kind of where it kicked off in 2005 and in 2000 january 2007 he he decided to leave and my course manager at the time was like look you know we could advertise we could get somebody else in but actually you know would you take it on and we will support you in every way we can and i'm just like yes Mm -hmm. absolutely i'm not afraid of this let's just Let's just get in there and let's just do it. So, you know, when I, when I joined the Bucks in, in 2005, I knew the only way that I was really going to understand was to just, like, take operator manual with me. So mm-hmm. I, used to, I used to take operator manuals home with me and I just used to read them. And just, you know, at first it was, you know, very alien because you look in an operator's manual and, you know, and you're talking about, You know setups and heights of carts and quality of cuts and 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 whatever it may be, whatever machine that it is that that I may be looking at. But I felt that that was the only way I was really going to learn. I I did. I, I learned from the head mechanic who who was great, but the only way I think you 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 really learn is if you is if you take stuff home with you and you study and I try to make connections with other golf clubs around. We've got some. Pretty big golf clubs in the UK that hold big events, yeah. so they all have they all have dedicated mechanics. So built relationship, you know, kind of just fed off each other, and we, we all kind of did the same thing. So it was just great to kind of be a part of the turf industry. I think. Okay. Something completely different.
0: Did you have any turf experience before? Did
1: you play golf or anything like that? No, do you know what I didn't? I didn't, I knew what golf was, but I didn't really, I didn't really know much about it. So I thought, well, what I would do is I would start like an agricultural engineering degree, which I did, which I did online, because, you know, most of the learning is done on the tools. Hands-on work is where you really learn. But I did a three-year on agricultural engineering. And then as soon as I did that, I actually went and did my level two in greenkeeping because I, I feel it's really important to, to be the best you can. You need to see it from their side too. So I did my level two and then ended up doing my level three. I ended up doing all my spraying certificates, not because I was out there doing the job, but I just felt like it would make me a better mechanic, mm-hmm. a better to to see it from their eyes and how they do it and how a machine is actually used. And so I went and did all of them, which I think definitely, definitely helped. You you just see things from a green keeper's point of view. I did all my, my qualifications through there. And then it wasn't until maybe stepping back a little bit. It wasn't until maybe when I was like 18, I suppose, or maybe, maybe a bit younger. Um, I started finding out a lot about like my family history because when I grew up, I was I was kind of brought up with all females. So my dad died when I was two, and you know, not knowing a, a huge huge amount until mm. you grow up and you're the right age. Then my dad was into metalwork, so he was an engineer. My uncle was an engineer. My grandfather was um, a blacksmith. Okay, so. Yeah. I felt like it was very much in my blood. And, and then I really started looking into what they did and and then just knowing that what they did and, and asking lots of questions in my family about, you know, how I felt like I got there today. I can really see that why I do what I do is because of definitely rich in my blood. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. So 2007, I just kind of hit the ground running, knew what I had to do and started building this amazing workshop because working for a main dealer, you know, it's spick and span, you know, you're bringing customers in, you know, and if you're showing them around, you know, it's, it's health and safety, health and safety, health and safety. So no trip hazards, floor painted. And I wanted to kind of have the same thing in my workshop. I -hmm. wanted to have a replica really. And then in, I think it was like 2010, I got approached by Toro and was like you know we are looking for a parts and service guy to kind of represent the UK mm-hmm. would you like to come out and I'm like absolutely because we're all Toro and so I was like absolutely that's where I met Kevin Henniger ah, okay and like yeah yeah, yeah so we we've, we've remained friends ever since yeah yeah,
0: that's awesome all,
1: yeah always talking lots of banter yeah so that that was really good that was in 2010. So I did a parts and service tour there. Mm-hmm. And then in 2012, I went back again, which I paid for myself because I feel like in the UK, the education is just not there. Definitely is on the mo- automotive side, but on this side, on or, or, or what we do every day, like it's just not there. And, right. and I feel like if you want to just keep moving forward and, and learning more, especially on like on, on the manufacturer's side, I mm-hmm. felt like, do you know what? Let's look into going to Minneapolis. So sent him an email, went to their university. And do you know what? It wasn't really that
0: was the university better than the other training that you attended at Toro?
1: What? So the first time I went out. Yes. I, I th- okay, so I think the first time I went out there, it was very much like, you've been selected to come out here. We want to kind of, wine and dine you? We want to show you all of our facilities. So we, you know, we hit the road quite a few days and we drove miles and miles to their distribution, to their, you know, where they would make all their cutting reels and bottom blades. Mm-hmm. And there was definitely a lot of learning going on. But it wasn't like my second time I went, which was the university It was actually with Carl. Yeah, his I forget uh, his uh, name. He was the main Austin house or something. Absolutely. Like and so he was the like the head training manager at the time. And that really got into into training and learning about what products are coming out. You know, this was back in two thousand and twelve and we were talking hybrids. Hybrids mm-hmm. weren't out there. And so you, you you really got to see behind the scenes and what was going on and the R and D side of things and and I took so much away from that because it's all very well you know I think that whether you buy a new machine where you buy a lease equipment it kind of get dropped it gets dropped off to you Would you like us to run through a machine with you Yeah okay that's great and then you're pretty much left to your own devices right. So Toro and I, I can only really speak for Toro at the minute but Toro really advanced and unless you have any sort of training which you don't get in the UK like you very much have to learn by yourself or you need to learn for a service manual or you need to learn through like an operator's manual Mm -hmm. so I felt like going over there it doesn't cost the earth to do that i got cheap flight the four days worth of university was really really good value and you got to meet great people along the way and keeping tough mm. and then so that was at the Buckinghamshire. and then in 2013 i got approached by another golf club who were literally 10 minutes down the road from me it was a small members club and they were just wanted to set up a workshop they wanted somebody to be able to come in and just and just go at it they were looking at mm-hmm. setting up a new a lease deal they wanted input etc so i took the plunge went over there a golf course called Jared's cross and again just just made it happen like built this amazing workshop we set up a brand new five-year toro lease deal to transform the golf course got to like put knowledge into the green keepers and which i you know in turn makes them feel better like they've right. like, got all this brand new equipment like they are been shown how to use it yeah, so so that was like a really good four years there, mm-hmm. and then I got approached again by the Bucks. Would I go back? And I think things may have dipped, maybe, but would I go back and go again at it? So I did back in 2017 and kind of built, rebuilt the workshop again. I suppose was that for the
0: same grainskeeper?
1: Different, a different course manager. Sorry, no, no, no. Sorry, I, I did. No, it was the same course manager. Yeah, he's not there no longer, sadly. But he was for the same one. And then, yeah, like five years on, we're just building and just getting better and better. And that's what we love to do: getting better every day. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, for sure. Walk us through your daily shop routine.
1: Okay, so don't really have a routine because I may have a plan. But by six, oh one, that plans changed straight away, whether it be weather, whether it be, you know, they just decided to do something different, but we would normally try and work a weekend and that kind of that excludes maintenance weeks, I suppose. But the day before we would just sit down, talk about, you know, what they want to do in the morning. And I will try and have everything ready for them as machines. So in the mornings, the boys will have pre-start check sheets. Mm-hmm. So they will pick that one up, and individually they will go through spend five minutes and do all their oils levels tire pressures, etc, and they will have to sign that piece of equipment out and then that 's their machine, so they go out, they do what they 've got to do, they come back, and like again, they will have a procedure which would be you fill it up, you wash it down, and you will then leave it outside for it to then have its quality of cut height of cut, and then I would put that back, but they would sign that piece of equipment back in. To say that you know it, it was working fine it was it, it, it. by us like f- the way we do that by by that by each operator having their own piece of equipment and signing it out and signing it in that is their responsibility because you know they you know for us you know we don't have a single job we have multiple multiple things going yeah. on at, mm. at once and for an operator, you know, if they're out cutting greens, okay, they they have their they go out there with their greens mower, they check their greens, the stones and, and whatever it might be. They cut their greens and they bring it back. So they really only kind of have one job. So mm-hmm. we feel like we feel like by by making them sign out, check their machine one, it's really going to help us. It's going to reduce breakdowns. They're not going to get out there and realise that their tire's flat or, you know, there was an issue with it. They come back and they check it over again, they wash it down, they fill it up and they sign it back in. And I think by doing that, when I first stopped there, that, that never used to happen. But I reckon breakdowns must have reduced like by 90% by oh, them, wow. okay. by them taking just five minutes out in the morning mm. just to look over their machine, make sure it's okay, make sure there's no leaks underneath, which has a massive impact on, on the workshop then because I don't need to be worried about, oh, is someone going out there with a flat tire or is there engine oil in it or, you know, it's on cut, it's ready to go. So there's no downtime in the morning. You haven't got a queue of people waiting to fill up. So I would just be, I would just be there in the mornings making sure that everybody's getting out okay. If if, if there are any changes or if, any, if there's anything that the course manager wanted differently, mm-hmm. I would just crack on with that. If not, then I just, I have my own my own procedure of, of what's going on that day, whether it be grinding, servicing. Yeah. So that I wouldn't say I have a, a structure as you know, because it just doesn't, just doesn't work that way. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we you know, we've talked
0: about it on here plenty of times. You can plan as much as you want and that goes out the door. Just like you said at six, oh, one, a follow up to your check in, check out. Could you elaborate a little bit more on that? So I can imagine that. You got a clipboard, maybe, and they do their check off. They sign it, and then do they turn
1: that in to you? No. So, so what we have, like, we've got pretty good, really good facilities, and where we park most of our cutting equipment, there's just like on the wall, there's just a big board which will okay. have all the clipboards, and each clipboard will have a sign in and a sign out. So, you know, in the morning, in the meetings, it's like right, you know, for instance, Joe blogs, you're on. You're on green, so you're hand-cutting. So you get your board, which would be number one, which would be signed to that machine. And it would just have your engine oil. Anything related to a pre-start will be on there. And they would tick to say that they have signed it. They would tick to say that they have checked it, and they will sign it out. Now, if they choose, you know, maybe not to check it, but they still sign it out, and there's an issue further down the line, I think it's just a way of like making sure that our asset is just being looked after. I totally agree. That makes 500%. yeah
0: percent. No, so good yeah. it's great. And, I it. and then, I'm and, asking more questions about it.
1: Yeah. So, and then even on the sign-in side, like the boys will come in, they will wash down. From the wash down, they will then go and fill up. They would then go and sign their merit back in. To say that they're finished with that mirth of the day, it then gets left to me where we do a quality of cut, hide to cut, I will park it away. So I can so and then in the next morning, for instance, one of the boys jumps on a four thousand and like it's empty and oh I don't know. And it wasn't washed out properly. You can go back to that sheet and you can be like, look, you know and and I think what that does is it, you know, the green keepers, you certainly don't want to start arguments or anything like that, but they will mm. almost pick each other up be like Luke you signed this out or John you said you signed this out and you filled it up and and you haven't. Like and and I think that just because people don't want to be stood at, at first thing in the morning waiting to fill up or this, that and the other. So we found that it was a really good way of just making sure that our machines are being looked after, that our machines are good to go in the mornings because in the summer, as we all know, you've got to be at least a couple of hours ahead of the goal they'll be on the team yeah it it just works really well we are still on a paper and clipboard and we are looking to go over to a computer system it's mm-hmm. just finding the best way to do that because not everybody can have you can't you know give everybody their own ipad to fill in fill out and then if you if you did it one by one it would just take a long time right. to try and get 15 guys out there mm-hmm. um all on different machines so this way it works well and it's just a way of you know, everyone, I'd say like everyone will, will do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important. Like if, if I was to be out on a, on a rough mower, I would actually want to be on that rough mower knowing that I've done my checks. I'd hate to think, oh God, I hope there's enough engine oil in it, or, right, I hope, yeah. you know, my tire's not going to go flat because I didn't check it. I would yeah, actually no. want to know that the machine I'm on is safe and ready to go. So that's why we introduced that. And we had a lot of breakdowns before I got there. And now, yeah, like easily 90, 95% That's that, that's all gone now. Oh, yeah, really it really does. Here. It works well.
0: And I, I'm sure some places are doing that, but I don't think that is the norm.
1: Maybe it should be. Yeah. I just think it's like, it's really good housekeeping. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and like, I think I saw something on Twitter recently and I'm not sure where it was, but somebody had put a little label on every machine of how much that machine cost and. You know, so whoever's if someone's using a flex, for instance, it's it's in their eye line. Yeah, yeah. This has yeah. cost twelve thousand pounds, and and that's a lot of money. Like when when we have new guys come in and we give them the introduction, we give them the tour, and and I, and I'm with them, and I'm like, you know, this mower here, for instance, what do you reckon it costs? Oh, I don't know, maybe like a thousand quid. Mm. And then when you tell tell them it's like twelve times that, or or you know that fifty eight hundred over there is a fifty five thousand pound machine and you you know you probably never own a car like that right, so, right wow wow really so that so I want to educate them you want to to tell them that you know the fleet that we have here is expensive stuff and it needs to be treated with respect. And we're the ones that have to fix it. We're the ones that spend the money on the budget. We're the ones that and if you can reduce them things it's all good I think. Yeah. I love it.
0: Do you relief ground? Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I'm very much a foley man. Okay. Not not knocking Bernards at all because they're very good, but I'm very green when it comes to grinding because I think if you look at the principles of grinding, you want to get rid of some of that trailing edge. You want, you know, reduce that land. And the only way to do that is to relief front. I don't believe in back clapping. But then I listen to other guys, and they swear by it, and that's fine. Like, if I've got a, a cylinder that's dull, it needs to go on the grinder. So, yep, yeah, don't battle that. Don't own a brush. Don't own a tub of paste. Love my Foley's. Love my new Foley's. Got the 653s and the 672s. And they're just a joy to work with, right, I think. Mm-hmm. My old ones were the old Foley 630s, which still gave you a beautiful grind. But... You know, new technology now and in feeds and setting up programs. And I just, it's taking grinding to a, a, the next step up. And when you've got to grind all day on a, on a set of grinders, it definitely do the job, but you then go on to a set of grinders where, you know, you've got this computer and your automatic in feed and mm-hmm. just, it makes things a lot more
0: enjoyable. Do you set up a different program? for the Edge series Toro Reels?
1: So my grinders I probably had maybe like two months, I think. And when I first started using them, I I was using them just like my old 630s. And I felt like I wasn't getting I was getting a better grind than my old ones. And I and I just couldn't work out why. Was it my RPM? was it like I just couldn't quite understand so I actually reached out to Chad you know Chad on Twitter yeah yeah thank you Chad yeah Yeah. Yeah, so I I reached out to Chad because Chad you know I I think it's quite like me like keep your machine clean he's a Toro man he's a foley man so Mm. I I, I actually I sent him a message and was just like look you just tell me what your setup is on some of your equipment I said because I'm really finding it difficult here and I learned something really, really good. And he said, you know, if you've done the barber pole, what's the barber pole? I've never mm. heard of this before. Like walking <laughs> the barber pole. You have to tell me what this is. Yeah. So he's like, right, you know, set up, get, get, get spin grinding and then look at, look at your cylinder spinning through your camera. And I'm like, right. Okay. And he's like, and then you'll really see. Like he said, I have mine just off stationary. So mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, fine. So I get my camera. There I am. I think I set it up to about 270 RPM on a five inch 14 blade flex. Get my phone out looking through it. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Like, so by that, I, I came down to 220. So my, I, I was just off stationary. And since then it's just been amazing. Like I'm definitely getting a bit grind. Yeah, like, i like, never heard. Straight away, it was like the barber poles. So I'm like, okay, what's that? S- straight onto Google, you know, <laughs> yeah. grinding barber I Couldn't find anything. All I kept seeing was a barber's pole. I'm like, oh, I mm-hmm. just don't know what this is. And That's then when he explained really it and went went through it with me, he was like, wow, that was amazing. And it really, really helped out my grinding.
0: Well, so I've had this conversation before, and I'm curious. So here in the States, we're 60 hertz. And in the UK, are you 50 hertz? Yeah, things so. like, yeah, that's what I was thinking. So I was wondering if that would throw off the barber pole. Cause I think it has something to do with the frequency of the power coming in. I might be totally wrong.
1: So are we talking, so we're talking mains power. Yes. We're talking mains power coming in. Okay. So you guys are 110 volts. Yeah. Okay. So, yep. Yeah. We're two, we're 240. Yeah, we're 240 volts off the main. So but I know when most stuff turns up from across the pond, it's already set up for us.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I yeah.
1: think the, tra- it's, you know, the building transformer was there. It's mm. already built in, but yeah, you're right. Do you know what? I don't know.
0: I don't That's know. That's a, um, a, a conversation for another day and somebody yeah. way smarter than me probably needs to be and an el- el- electrical engineer or something. I need to talk to to answer. Yeah.
1: That, that barber pole. Amazing. I don't yeah. know if you, you, did you know that? Yeah. Yes. Yeah,
0: th- yeah. I had seen yeah. that and yeah, incredible. Yeah. And so I don't remember what year this was, but I remember we used to just do it with the fluorescent lights and mm-hmm. not actually use a camera, you know, before mm-hmm. the iPhone. Or yeah. Whatever smartphone I yeah. have with a camera on it. And we did it that way, but same concept. Mm. I think with the camera, I don't, I remember Mike Rollins talking about this and he made sure his camera was on a certain setting and I don't know if it was 30 frames a second, 60 frames a second or okay. something like that to uh really dial that in.
1: Okay, yeah. Do you know what? I just, I don't know what, what setting or I literally just got my, I think I was on portrait mm. and straight onto it and do you know what? It blew my mind actually. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, never heard of that one. So that was great. So great you yeah, just you know, just reached out to him and and got some great information. And
0: Chad is full of great information. Absolutely. For anybody that doesn't know. And he's willing to help anybody out. I mean, just such a great person. And we're lucky to have him in our
1: industry. Tell us something you've fabricated lately. Okay, so I've been doing a few bits and pieces. So I just built my new grinding new grinding room well yeah just rebuilt it for the new grinders i thought if new grinders are going in you know let's let's do the shop, let's do the grinding themselves so built a new corner bench so that it was made out of wood but the top of it is made of steel i've done some trailers recently for the 1600s because i find on the 1600s Although yes, your tire pressure should be five psi, which should take a lot of the load. We tend to go through quite a lot of of the hub snapping. Hmm. So I just built a a support bar, so the whole traction roller has somewhere to sit on now. So when it is out there and it is being trailed, it's actually being supported, not being supported just on the transport on the transport shafts. If you know sixteen hundred. So yeah, did that. I don't know, would you, I think I'm just doing bits and pieces all the time. There's a few things I really. Nothing wrong with that. That's fine. Absolutely. But my next thing I want to fabricate is what Bob did on the time rack holder, which, which is just on wheels. Yeah, So just being able to put yeah, all your time blocks. That's a great idea.
0: I, it was actually Deermid.
1: Oh, was it? Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay.
0: That, yeah. That, I'm pretty sure he was the first one I saw it. And yeah, I think Bob copied his design. Yeah. Just yeah, yeah. like we all do. Somebody comes up with an idea Absolutely. great and we're all gonna steal it. And yeah. the good thing about the industry is the person that comes up with a deer, idea, they don't care. Just mm. take it. Run with it. Absolutely. It makes your setup or shop more efficient, go for it. Yeah. And that's yeah. the great thing about this industry is we're all here to help each
1: other. That's what I love about it. Absolutely. Yeah, it's amazing. Tell me what your favorite tool is and why. So I'd probably say in 2010, we were looking at a lift. There's a few turf lifts out there, which I think most people have where, you know, your four wheels will go on and you adjust it. And mm-hmm. I was looking for a lift that would take my biggest, widest machine right down to, to either a Sam Pro, a three wheeled or a, a GM. So I was looking for something that would be able to do everything. So I ended up having got a lift company in. And we put a four-post lift in, uh, four-ton, put two extra center sections in. So when you drive up, which would take a third wheel. Mm. And then in the middle, where the jacking beam would be, we just built eight-mil aluminium plates, which would take the third wheel and support it. Mm-hmm. So I'd probably say my ramp because it can be used for any machine to a four ton tractor to the work trucks to your car to a pedestrian mower to to any. Really. Okay. So I had that yeah. custom built. That was like 11 years ago now and it's still going strong. Awesome. Um, That's really cool. Yeah. have to
0: share yeah. some pictures of that on Twitter or something. Uh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I would like yeah. to see that. Mm. What do you do to
1: relax? I like golf. I, I golf. play golf. Okay, yeah, I play golf. Good. Yeah. So as soon as I got in there, it's like, well, if I'm going to be in this industry, I'm... so, and ever since I think, you know, I always just get that golf bug. And now I just love golf and I play every weekend. And if I'm not probably playing golf, then just being with my family, I think. So three year old boy. Oh, absolutely that's awesome. Yeah. So, so you got a son that's three, any other kids? Uh, no, one son, three maybe another one soon. Okay. Yeah. Just enjoy that family. Life. Yeah.
0: I understand that completely. I'm a girl dad. I love my girls. Yeah. And they're yeah, growing yeah. up too quick on
1: me. It only feels like last year I had him and all of a sudden he's three. Right. And so, yeah, absolutely. It does go. So I think you, for me, it's just spend as much time as you possibly can with them and enjoy them. um, yeah. 100%.
0: Cause you, that's yeah. one thing you can't make more of is time. So enjoy it while you got it. And Absolutely. tomorrow is not promised. What? No, exactly. What, what's yeah. the strangest thing you've seen at work?
1: Well, you know, listening, I've listened to pretty much most of your podcasts now. And I think, you know, definitely, you know, Moe has been turned over and, but actually in the last, you know, 20 months since the pandemic hit, I think one of the strangest things is finding it really hard to find people. Mm-hmm. Like I'm finding that really strange, but like we are advertising everywhere. We are, you know, just trying to get people in. We are trying to get people interested. We are trying to just recruit mm-hmm. and there's nobody out there. There's just nobody out there. And actually I'm finding that really sh- it's I just I just find it like, you know, you would have thought, you know, over here, you know, we went on to this. This furlough scheme, we, everyone stayed at home, people got made redundant, people were probably looking for, you know, possibly changes of careers and maybe, you know, people would move back home and, but I, I, I just always had in my head that when we get back out of this, there's going to be a lot of unemployed and a lot of people looking for work and maybe a lot of people that are just going to go out and try something new because why not? I've been made redundant, let's try new, and it's almost like the complete opposite. It's almost like there's nobody out there. Just, think, I, I'm finding it really strange that we are advertising. You know, I got an assistant recently, which I'm just kind of blessed with because he's really. But if, if I didn't have him and I had to kind of recruit, I think I would just struggle so much and trying to find good greenkeepers at the minute. So hard, yeah. really, really. Hard. Yeah,
0: it's struggle whether it be greenskeeping or working in the shop or just your uh, local fast food restaurant. They gave that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um Over here, like the hospitality industry has just been hit really hard. Uh, so I know they're definitely trying to build that side of things up. But sorry, going back to, yeah, like your question like the strangest thing. I've seen, yeah, quite a few things. But as I currently speak, I think the strangest thing is just, you know, Going back 10, 15 years ago, you would have a cabinet of CVs and if somebody left, you'd pull out your CVs and you'd look through them and try and find the best one. You'd give them a call and, you know, yeah. now there's it's just not there. Oh, I'd love to know what the next few years is going to be on, on the industry. Right,
0: it could be very, very interesting.
1: But I've heard a few people on your podcast say the exact same thing. So I find that quite strange. Yeah, yeah, yes.
0: no, that is strange, and we're struggling to find staff—not necessarily even good staff—just somebody that will show up, just a, you yes. know, a body. And <laughs> so it's hard yeah. to find yeah.
1: someone that someone that has a heartbeat. Right. Just like, please come on. Yep. <laughs> um, What's
0: one of your pet peeves around the shop? oh uh, just people that don't
1: wash off properly. That is my pet peeve. Yeah. That you you go and. You go to put a myrrh on cut and it's just full of grass and I just don't understand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, we have a £30,000 washdown facility, mm-hmm. you know, and that's my biggest problem. Yeah. People can quarrel at all, maybe and, you know, they haven't brought it back. Yes, that's annoying, but you can't put something on cart if it's full of sand or if it's full of grass. And yeah. and I just think there's just no excuse for it. It's just laziness. Yeah. We I mean, probably all of us guys probably think the exact same thing. Oh yeah, for sure. And then you when, when you when you pull a map on it or you explain it to oh yeah yeah sorry mate sorry sorry yeah I, you know I'll make sure I do it harder mm-hmm. next day
0: yeah so, always next time. Seconds. or they want to yeah. blame it on somebody else but if they're checking it in and out you <laughs> know who it is.
1: Well there you go right. we and you know yeah we have a good system of work anyway of of what the boys are doing every day anyway in the in the course manager's office but. I can always just walk into the shop, grab a, one of the pre-start check sheet and it's got the initials on. So you know who it
0: is. What would be your dream job or opportunity?
1: I, I really like to teach. So anyone that's interested in knowing about machinery and whatever, I, I just have so much time because that doesn't really happen very much, you know, not. Not many people walk in and be like oh any chance you can teach me how to do that yeah yeah doesn't really happen so but when they do it's like absolutely awesome let's let's yeah let's do that so i'd really like to and i really like workshop designs like i really pride my workshop as being like probably like one of the best out there i would say mm-hmm. because i try and keep it like a workshop i have this thing of you know in the car industry, if you've got a garage which is empty, like it's not very good because, you know, you're not very busy and, and you know, you, you're constantly, re- you know, requiring work to come in. Mm-hmm. But I think in, in our industry, if you've got a workshop full of machines, unless they're being serviced or, or, or being sharpened, that's not a good thing either. Right. Yeah. So I try to keep my workshop as empty as possible, meaning anything my course manager wants is there. Mm-hmm. It's there, it's ready, it's set up, ready to go. So I try and have my workshop always empty unless there is a breakdown where we're servicing always in for a sharpen. Other than that, I, I want a clean, lean workshop. There's a lot yeah, better absolutely. environment
0: to work in too.
1: Definitely. Yeah. And we're I just think have... it just sets like people just think, Oh, you know, I'm not, you know, you're not looking for. People to be like congratulate you, but people will think, even if it's silently, "God, this place is good." Mm-hmm. And and I want people to think that because it feels, and I, and I think I'm possibly like a maybe a second generation mechanic, so I don't wear overalls. My fingernails are pretty clean, mm-hmm. and, and I just try and be clean and smart and and just yeah. I think if if you're clean and smart, your workshop's good. Your machinery is going to be pretty good too. Mm-hmm. Because it, it just, everything just works across the line. Oh, like yeah. No,
0: you can, you can talk about the operation by how Absolutely. clean and organized it is. Indeed. Yeah. What do you know yeah. now that you wish you'd done on day one?
1: I think maybe when I first, when I first came into it, maybe even when I worked for SARP, like, I think maybe, you know, you think to yourself that you should know it all and you shouldn't know it all because everything comes with experience and learning by your mistakes and every single day whether you've been doing it for 10 20 30 years every single day is a learning day and you will come across something that you think "God, blimey not come across that before Mm -hmm. or do you know what i've done is a hundred times i didn't actually realize if i didn't like that you know so i think if i have a breakdown on the golf course the first thing i think about is what are they cutting what machine are they on and how, how would they have been using that piece of equipment? Mm-hmm. I then would talk to them and I'd say to them, right, you know, how did this happen? What were you doing? Did it just suddenly shut off? So I'm, I'm gathering all this information before I've even got out there. Just so I think when you're there, you just, you've just got this picture of what it could be before you've even got there. And, and because I think when I when I first joined, you know, people are, you, you may get stressed on whether or not you can fix it or not, or people are relying on you that this machine needs to go out. And so now if anything happens, I just take a step back and just like think about what was it doing at the time or how was that person operating it or what the height of cut gr- was, you know, are they trying to cut grasses too long? Whatever it might be now, I just take a step back and just evaluate the situation. Whereas mm-hmm. I think when I first came into it, I may not have done. I may have just dived into today. Yeah, it's all right. I'll get this sorted. Don't worry. No. And now I'm the complete opposite. And I think that is just working a lot, working smarter rather than harder, I think. Yeah. just yeah. gathering as much information from that operator as possible. Unless he was being a clown and doesn't want to admit that he was messing around. Mm-hmm. The more information I can get from that Greenkeeper and what happened at that point of time like you're halfway there so, yeah, no i agree
0: 100 percent. yeah and not just gathering the information but i really like what you said about stepping back and just think about everything that was happening at that
1: time absolutely absolutely and what was going on at that moment when that happened the blades were spilling or the you know you were at full revs you were done just gathering all that information and you can you can whittle it down quite quickly just through your experience
0: right now i agree get ready for tips and tricks what kind of tips or tricks do you want to share with us any good stuff not really and it
1: doesn't matter how big. The barber pole.
0: yes the barber pole
1: um which is not mine at all so but that that was that was really good tips and tricks Maybe what we just spoke about and that was, you know, just if there was a breakdown or if, if there was an issue, just, and it may not be a treat, but I'd say it's definitely a tip is to, is just to don't, don't get overwhelmed. We all know that that machine might need to go out there. It might be first thing in the morning and one of your routes has gone down. So the other boys are going to have to hand cut your tea or approach or green, whatever it might be, but just, just step back and, and i think that'd be my tip i think just yeah don't get too stressed and and i
0: think that's a great tip because it's easy to get overwhelmed to jump in head first before you've even thought about what it was and then you start you know chasing electrical problem this way or that way and, and that the are, hydraulic yeah. problem
1: and so and, yeah. and, and they weren't even there you know right and normally as, as i think we all know like it's normally the simple things that go wrong with them. Oh yeah, um, for sure. You know, whoever it be, you know, whatever it might be, I always find nothing catastrophic or in, in my shop in, in the way we work, nothing catastrophic really happens. It's just simple mm-hmm. Like for instance, one of the boys today is on a roller, keeps cutting out intermittent. You know, they're like, oh, I think there's something wrong with the engine, blah, blah, blah. blah. I'm like, but just bring it back let's have a look straight away right there's three safety switches on there it's got if it's intermittent and it mm-hmm. keeps going to cut out and it was just a parking brake switch mm-hmm. all I do all I you know like most people do I, st- I stick a split pin in it right, I bypass that switch if it works there you go and I just find that most issues are they're pretty simple they're nothing you know most manufacturers are pretty good but Toro have you look after their equipment, they will look after themselves. And like, I've never really experienced anything too made. So yeah, like I say, just step back, just take a bit of time and, and think about what was going on at the time. And, and I think you come, you can come to the problem quite quickly and talk to your, to the guy that was using it and just gather that information from him.
0: And if there's any operators that are listening, when we question you about equipment, <laughs> we're not interrogating you. We're not talking down to you. We're just mm. trying to gather more information. Absolutely. And I think I know personally, I've had operators give me that. Why are you interrogating me? I'm just trying to get to the bottom of the issue.
1: Absolutely. We got to get you back out cutting and reduce any downtime. Yeah. Like, like you're saying. And maybe if you're out there doing the job and get them involved, like I'm all for the more you can, the more you can fill them with knowledge, like knowledge is power, and and the more you can fill them with knowledge, the more like they can, without them even knowing it, that they will help you along the way and maybe just looking after that bit of equipment. Or if they come across that problem again, they know maybe not not to do it because of what happened last time, rather than doing the the same thing, the same problem. So I just think just build these guys full of knowledge because it's, you know what, it's really enjoyable and it's good knowledge. Like most inspiring greenkeepers, I would imagine, are looking to one day be a course manager. And I don't think it's until you be a course manager that if you haven't got a mechanic (laughs) and you're on your own and, you know, nowadays your dealers I'm finding and not what they used to be, because they're struggling with stuff, and they can't get to you next day like they used to be able to. It's Mm -hmm. it's Monday, they say, look, we should be able to get to you on Friday. That's no good. So as a course manager, like, they should, like, as a greenkeeper and and wanting to aspire to a course manager, fill your head full of knowledge, whether it's just being able to set up a cutting unit or being able to plug a tyre up or just get them basics behind you. Mm-hmm. Because um I'm not a course manager, but if I was a course manager, I would want a good mechanic.
0: Oh, for because sure.
1: Yeah. Without a doubt. Because you've got enough on your shoulders to be worrying mm-hmm. about.
0: And I think the course managers that have had the opportunity to have a good mechanic, they really know the value of a good mechanic. Mm-hmm. And most of those people that I've met don't take it for granted that they have a good mechanic.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I don't think they know that until they're in that position. I think a lot of green keepers, I don't know whether it's the same over there, but I just think they think that you're maybe unapproachable. Maybe you're the grumpy one. Maybe I don't necessarily have but like, if you come into my workshop, I am not grumpy at mm-hmm. all. Like, I am willing to help. You know, if you come in there, like, how's oh, your day? What's going on? Do you need any help? Like, I am the I try and be that complete opposite. One, because I don't want people to think that I'm grumpy, but also I'm not grumpy. And I don't want you to feel like that you can't come in. Mm -hmm. I don't want you to break something or if or something was to go wrong. And for you to feel like I can't go in there and tell him that because he's going to shout at me. That's the last thing I want. Like, I want you to come in and be like, look, had a bit of a moment. I've gone and done this. All right, it's fine. Like, as long as you weren't doing it on purpose there's no issue i'd much rather you just come and tell me and let's get the problem sorted let's mm-hmm. try and work out a way of of it not happening again and that's whether if you need more training or i don't know whatever it might be i just i don't want people to think that i'm not approachable right because i think if, if if your staff aren't telling you things wow that's that's just going to cause you a lot of headaches i do for sure tell the listeners how they can get a hold of you so i'm on twitter um at j wilkinson underscore underscore i think i kind of have an instagram account a work one probably don't use it like i should do but i'm on there yeah and i'm on linkedin Yep. So, and I do, do you know why I talk to many guys on that, actually? On reach out, reach, reach out to LinkedIn and, and Twitter. Okay. Awesome. Um, I-
0: yeah, I would encourage anybody listening, just reach out to people. And most of the time you'll find this a pleasant conversation and they're willing to help you and whatever you're looking for. And especially if you see something on Twitter or LinkedIn, a great idea and you want more information, all these people are more than willing to pr- give you more information.
1: Absolutely.
0: And in the end, you end
1: up making a friend.
0: Oh, without doubt. like
1: you and Kevin. I mean, yeah. how great is that? It's amazing. Yeah. It's Like, unlike, we don't actually talk much about work. Okay. Yeah, yeah. more on a friend, personal, how's your missus, how's the kids, what you've been up to, you know. Yeah. It's just we all, We're all going to keep
0: paddling. So, Hop in the boat. We're going to keep paddling. paddling. Well, thank yeah. you so much, James, for coming on. It's thank been a you. pleasure talking it to you. Has. Yeah. And yeah. it's probably time for you to turn in so you can yeah. get up in the morning. Absolutely. All right. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Yes, Trev. Hope you enjoyed hearing from James. He's one stand-up guy. I thoroughly enjoyed the chat we had. I think it's really important to communicate with our crew. We have to get rid of the stereotype of the grumpy mechanic and i know that's easier said than done i I speak from experience it's hard sometimes when we're getting bad news on a daily sometimes hourly minute basis so it it is hard fight but we got to fight the stereotype we got to be more open with our crew and i really think it'll go a long way and if we can have a better relationship with our crew members, maybe we can get them to take care of the equipment a little bit better. I think it's so cool that James went to the Toro School on his own time from the U.K. That's unbelievable. And it shows the value of good education. The other interesting thing that I found out is James met Kevin Henneker at the Toro School that year, and they've been friends ever since, and communicate quite a bit through WhatsApp, and James is also a member of our WhatsApp group, and it's been great having him in there, and I did the latest math in the WhatsApp group, we got 802 years of experience out of 42 people that filled out the survey, This is crazy to think about the amount of experience in that group. And don't forget, this year, we're focusing on mentoring. It's an important job that we all have. And if you're at a shop and you're the only technician there, you can mentor somebody on the crew. Until next time, see you, bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Real Turf Techs podcast. I hope you learned something today. Don't forget to subscribe. If you have any topics you would like to discuss or you'd like to be a guest, find us on Twitter at RealTurfText. See you back.